stand, let me just pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are not a God who keeps silent, but that you speak, and you speak through your word. So we pray that you would speak to us through it this morning as we reflect upon it. Shape and change us for the good of our lives and for the good of your world and for the glory of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we ask it. Amen. Please do have a seat, uh, and you might find it helpful if you've got a a Bible at the end of the pew to grab hold of it. Uh, We're going to be thinking mostly about that reading in Luke chapter 12, and you can find that on page 71 uh, of those pew Bibles. Let me ask you a question. What harvest are you looking forward to? What harvest are you looking forward to? Now, I know there are some people in the room who know what it is to be farmers, Many of us were reading, singing the last hymn and thinking about sowing and tilling, harvesting and milling and thinking I haven't done much of that recently. But there are some people in the room for whom that is daily life and they know exactly what it's like to plant and to plan. Plan for that harvest the whole year because so much rests on how it turns out. Everything depends on what sort of harvest you have. Or maybe, I'll just dial it down a little bit, maybe you're a gardener. Uh, I'm not a gardener. I have the opposite of whatever green fingers are. I have, you know, black fingers. I can kill anything just by looking at it. I have a condition called house plant blindness, which means I cannot notice that they're there. Um, But maybe you're a gardener and, and you know that feeling of tending your flowers and your seeds, your fruit and your veg and your hope and fear as you look ahead to see what sort of harvest you're going to get what fruit there will be from the apple tree and the tomato plant, whether the marrows and the lettuce are going to come up okay this year. Whether that rings a bell with you or not, every one of us looks forward to harvest in one way or another. And by that I mean that we do things with our time and our energy and our money right here and now in the hope that they will bring us something, a harvest in the future. You know, when we save up at the bank, in the hope that we can harvest a holiday. We pay into a pension because we want to harvest security in our old age. We study for a qualification because we want to harvest a career. We put the extra hours in at work because we want to harvest a promotion. We look after our bodies to harvest a long life and we make ourselves look nice because we want to harvest the approval the attraction, maybe even the desire of others. So as you look ahead to the future, not just a few months ahead, but for all that lies ahead, let me ask you this morning, what are you planning to harvest? What will you reap in the future from what you are sowing now? Our readings give us two different hoped-for harvests, two different approaches to the future, and I want us to think about both of them. One of them comes from that man in the parable in Luke chapter 12. He's a rich man. He's a man who owns land and farms it, and he's had a bumper harvest, maybe for several years running, certainly this year. He is rich, and he seems set to get richer. His harvest is greater than he can possibly need, and his problem is, what am I going to do with it? And perhaps as you hear that, you are thinking, well, that is a very nice problem to have. I wish I looked at my bank balance and thought, there is too much here instead of the opposite. I wish I had more wealth than I knew what to do with. But if you did have that, or if you do have that, what are you going to do with it? The man of the parable decides what he's going to do. He's going to keep it. This abundant harvest 
is all for him. If he has more wealth than his storehouses can hold, well, that's no problem. He'll just get a bigger storehouse. If the house he lives in is not big enough to hold all his stuff, well, he'll simply need to get a bigger house. There's no question that he will need less stuff. And why? Why does he do this? Well, it's easy. It's so that he can relax. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. That's the aim, isn't it? Store it up now so you don't have to work later. Store it up now so that you can create your own security, your own luxury in the years to come. Isn't that the dream? Make a million, retire early and sit back drinking cocktails. That's the harvest he's looking for. Rest and pleasure, all paid for by his own hands. But he's in for a shock. Because this plan is not going to work. In the parable, God speaks to him and says, you're a fool. If you live like that, God says, you are a fool. Because that very night, he says, you're going to die. This man has been saying to his own soul, this is what's going to happen to you. But he's deluded because he can't promise his own soul anything. Because that very night, his soul, and it's the same word, the same word, his soul, far from being secure, it's going to be demanded from him. Because it belongs to God, and it's God who decides what happens with it. Now, I imagine if you'd known this man, you would have been envious of him. I think I would have been. He's, he's living the dream. He's made it. He has riches and comfort. He's got early retirement. He's about to go and do whatever he liked all the time. And doesn't that sound like a harvest to look forward to? But God says to him, you fool. Have you ever known somebody who worked incredibly hard all their life, retired early, and suddenly got the diagnosis? Six months? I have. And not that I would in any way in that sense say to somebody, you know, you fool. But if that's my hope, if I'm banking on something that is not promised to me, well, it's foolish. You're a fool to think that your soul is yours to dispose of and that you're only answerable to yourself. Because if you think that, you have a very different harvest awaiting you. And I think that's a warning. It's a warning to us not to think that the aim of life is ease and comfort and plenty. Now, it's not that those are bad things. In fact, we are promised them. But they are not the aim of life here and now. And Christians shouldn't see ease and comfort and plenty as our goal and aim in this life. Not least because it is not ours to deliver for ourselves in the here and now. That, that rich fool, when he found out that he had more than he could store, he could have done something else, couldn't he? He could have said, I've got more than I need, so I'll give the rest away. He could have said, I've worked out, this is what I need to live on. Let's add a little bit more so that life is comfortable. And anything above that, I don't need. I will give it away. I'll give it away. He could have blessed so many people with it, but instead he hoarded it because he imagined that by doing that, he would protect himself and he would be his own saviour. And he was wrong. 
And he found that out too late. Now, we live in an affluent country by global standards. And we live in an affluent town by national standards. And the individual circumstances of people in this room will all be different. I don't know what your bank balance looks like. I'm not asking to know. But I do know that we need to be on our guard against greed. We need to be on our guard against an attitude which sees our comfort in this life as our number one priority. And how do we avoid that? Well, I think the answer is that we need to look for a different harvest altogether. Here are some more words that Jesus said in our reading. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And that's true. Life is more than food and clothing. Life is more than a good house, a nice car, and a foreign holiday. I mean, they are nice things. I enjoy them too, but they are not what life is about. And so I think we need to take the choice in our minds to take those ambitions down a peg or two when we look to what the future will bring, what we hope to harvest. I think that's a real challenge. I find that very challenging. As I said at 8 o'clock this morning, in the last couple of years I've moved into a four-bedroom detached house and I'm getting quite used to it. It's a challenge. It's so easy to be sucked into the way of the world and to put these things first in terms of what we want for ourselves and even more subtly in terms of what we want for others. As a parent, it is a challenge for me that I don't simply aim that what I want most for my children is ease and comfort and wealth. Because I really want them to have those things. But that mustn't be my first priority. There's a challenge here, but there is also good news. There is a relief here. If you've got the Bible open in front of you, have a look in verse 29 and you'll see that there are two wonderful commands from Jesus. He says this, Don't keep striving. Don't keep worrying. The desire to harvest more than we need in this life can absolutely dominate life. We are always looking for the next thing. We are always sure that we won't be content until we have that thing and then when we've got it, we want something else. And God says, put that worry away. Put that worry down. God says, I know what you need. Yes, life is a struggle. For millions around the world, it is a back-breaking struggle just to get by. And I'm well aware there will be people in this room and not far from it who know exactly what that's like as a daily experience. Please don't think I forget that. But that desire to have more and more and more, far beyond what we need, God says, put that worry away. He knows what we need and he will not fail to provide for his people. You can trust God to do good to you. So instead of having your vision filled with material needs or with greed, push those out by filling your vision with something else. Jesus says, strive for his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. God knows that you need material things. Of course he does. He made you. He is not ignorant that your body needs food and water. He has not forgotten that you need shelter 
It is no surprise to him that your brain needs to be kept occupied, that you need love and affection. God knows all the things that you need. All of these things were his idea and he will look after you. But he says, first, commit yourself to him and to his kingdom. That reading that Hermina read to us, God promised his people that they would enter the promised land and that once they were there, they would find a great harvest. And he said, when you, when you get there, when you find those good things that I've prepared for you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the first things that you harvest and bring them to the place I, I say we're gonna, you're going to worship me. Bring them there, the first things that you harvest. Bring them to the priest, and I want you to say some things. Now, I'm not going to read the words again, but here's the point of them. You are going to say, here is the proof that God kept his promise. Here is the proof that God said he would provide, and he has. Here is his provision, right here in my hands. They didn't hoard it to themselves to make bigger barns like the man in the parable. They brought it to God as a witness of his faithfulness, as thanksgiving, as worship, and to provide for those who needed it. Because that's also how God provides, by us giving our excess to those who have nothing. And that's exactly what we've done this morning. When we brought our gifts up to the the front here, we've come there to say, God has given to us. Look, I have got food and I owe this to God. And here it is, it comes back to him as proof that he keeps his word, as worship to him, as thanksgiving and as an offering to others who need it more than me. That's what we do today, but it shouldn't end today. Every day should be a mini harvest festival. Every day should be a mini harvest festival as we recognise God's provision for us. We acknowledge he's kept his promises, we give thanks to him and we share what we have with those who need it. We can do that spontaneously, but we can also plan to share what we have with others. That's how we're to live, and that's how we're to kill that temptation, to be greedy and self-sufficient, by remembering that, as we say when we bring up the collection, everything we have comes from God. And so it belongs to God, and it's to be used for his glory. And as we do all those things, we look ahead to a different harvest. Not in this life, but in the life to come. A harvest won for us by the death of Christ on the cross, which we remember and celebrate and cling to this morning in communion. Which means that whatever we have or don't have in this world, you can always know for certain that better things lie ahead. If you are a Christian, the best is always yet to come. God warns us, don't be a rich fool looking for a harvest of rest and pleasure all paid for by your hands. Instead, seek the kingdom of God. Put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ and you'll be able to look forward to a harvest of rest and pleasure which was all paid for by his wounded hands. Amen.